keep on clapping like that, that's fine. I won't have to say a word. Uh, scientists, of course, are not renowned as public speakers, and they obviously forgot to tell the selection committee that when they chose me to come along and speak to you this morning. However, I will do the best I can. Uh, I might start off on a fairly serious note. Uh, Mozart, who was not much older than you when he died, uh, wrote in the month before his death to a friend, I know well that my hour is near and that I am at the point of death. I shall die without having known any of the delights my talents would have brought me, and yet life is so full of beauty. Alas, one cannot alter one's own destiny and I must be resigned. These days we don't accept that. We really believe that we're entitled to live a long and healthy life, but that does not come without effort. We live 20 years longer on average now than we did 100 years ago, and that of course is largely due to the benefits of the medical research that our predecessors did on our behalf. We get back from that work the health that we now enjoy. We also get back into the community, on average, in the United States, $20 for every dollar you invest in medical research. So it must be seen as a good investment, even by the Alan Greenspans of this world. It's, uh, the equation looks good. The vaccines which I'm interested in are, after clean water, the single best thing that you can do as a public health measure to ensure the longevity of your community. And of course, we get the full benefit of those in this country and in Australia. Indeed, we kind of forget what life was like during the era of infectious diseases, when you had 10 kids in order to make sure that two reached adult life because of infectious disease. There's a lobby out there that says that vaccines are not particularly good for us. Well, that may well seem possible in an environment where we don't have the epidemics of infectious disease anymore. But if you go to any part of the developing world where infectious diseases are still the commonest cause of death, you might change your opinion about that. The poliovirus vaccine, which is probably one of the most useful vaccines that we've had in the last 50 years, by the way, pays for all the medical research that ever has been done and ever will be done simply because of the, its ability to pr protect us against chronic disease paralysis and the cost of that chronic disease to the community. So if anybody ever tells you that medical research can't be afforded, just think about that and remind them that we can't really do without it. The challenge, of course, is to get these vaccines used in the developing world. Remember this, poliovirus is still around, that little epidemic that occurred after the Hajj in Mecca two years ago where one infected individual managed to pass it on to several different communities in the course of two days in the Hajj reminds us that we're never really free of the risk of poliovirus until we get it completely gone from the community. So we need to make sure that we get the vaccine out there and used before the grandmothers forget about polio and forget to tell the mothers that they should get their kids vaccinated. We have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, perhaps, in your lifetime to ensure that we don't have to live with polio for the rest of mankind. Me, I got into research because I was interested I was trained as an MD physician and I decided that I was more interested in research. Well, perhaps my colleague said it might be better for my patients if I got into research. Uh, and I moved from Scotland where I trained as a physician to Australia. I mean, they were obviously really keen to get rid of me from the medical profession in Scotland. Uh, it wasn't all that easy to go to Australia. Uh, you have to fill all these forms out. They asked me about my criminal record and I said that I didn't realise it was still necessary to have one to go to Australia. <laughs> Um, uh, 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 the work that I did in, 
in vaccines, uh, built, of course, on the work of others. Uh, and indeed, I relied on the mentorship that I was given by my colleagues in, the, in medical research. Research is very much a communal activity. We do compete with each other from time to time, mostly when it comes to money. But uh, when it comes to actually getting the work done, we're collaborative to try and get the job done. It's a long haul game. The vaccine that has become available this year to help prevent cervical cancer came out of work that was done 15 years ago and built on the work that was done 10 years before that. So that you have to be prepared to accept that you're going to be doing it for a while and that failure is likely. Indeed, if you're not failing in research, you're probably not trying to ask the right questions. The most important thing about research is that it's motivating. You're driven by the need to try and solve a problem. In life, you've, you're going to be doing, on average, five careers in your lifetime. You may not think about that just now. My kids have obviously already decided that they agree with that. They're trying to get through all five while they're still studying at university on their third degrees now each. Uh, your parents obviously will appreciate the idea of getting you off the payroll sooner than that. Uh, but uh, the, you, if you're going to be doing five different careers in your lifetime, you'd better make sure that the ones that you choose are ones that excite you and interest you, but also ones that when you go home at night, you feel you've done something useful in society. There are a lot of problems to solve. Ralph Nader mentioned these in his talk. You're aware of them, but you will feel much better if what you do in life helps to solve problems for other people. It's surprising how effective it is. The, my career in research has led me through, I think, all six stages of the problems that were being discussed earlier on. Uh, mostly panic, uh, lots of that. Uh, but uh, also this strong feeling that uh, you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. And that's what keeps you going, actually, because if you knew what was going to happen in your life for the rest of your life right now, think about it, what would you actually do? I mean, supposing somebody told you that they could read through the rest of your life for you right at the moment, would you want to know what was going to happen to you? No, of course you wouldn't. You'd much rather find out as you went through. I have had that privilege over the last uh, 25 years to be part of a research team that has helped develop a vaccine to prevent cervical cancer. Uh, and that has been a, a really interesting experience for me. It's not often, I have to say, that researchers get to be involved at the beginning of a project through the middle right the way through to the point where it gets out there into the clinic. So I see myself as representative of all of the other scientists who deserve as much credit as I've received, but haven't had it publicly, because they've been involved in the process, but perhaps not in quite as obvious a way as I have. Research is very much a team activity, and anybody that thinks that they can do it on their own obviously hasn't tried. So I would encourage you to build collaborations, to acknowledge the others that have done the work, and to make sure that you give them the full credit they deserve. Even if they've not been the, 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 the central player in things, they will be a very important part of what's gone on. The, the whole business of medical research is basically a 25-year investment in your children's future. You just have to keep reminding the politicians about that. They have three-year attention spans, and you've got to make sure they keep going. I'll finish because I want to let, let you have time for questions if you want some, but just reflect a little bit on the fact that I was, uh, for my involvement in the vaccine and various other things, I suppose, I was made Australian of the Year last year. Now, that's a great privilege and an honour, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it had its challenges, uh, 
the 300 public talks I had to give probably cured me of my problem with public speaking. Well, maybe not. You may have decided that I would perhaps would be better if I'd never been a public speaker. But uh, the, the, the journalists had a fair bit to say about me in my work last year. Uh, the Weekend Australian is one of our uh, national newspapers, equivalent of the New York Times, I guess, and they had a picture of me on the front cover, a story about the vaccine, and the headline was, God's Gift to Woman. Uh, I had to... Uh, uh, of course, it was the vaccine they were talking about, uh, but uh, I had to tell my two sons that, to the best of my knowledge, that was not a hereditary title. Uh, uh, Cosmopolitan magazine uh, was a little more direct and to the point. Uh, the same idea, picture of me, story about the vaccine. The headline was, the little prick that may save your life. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and finally, to acknowledge my wife, who's present here today also, Caroline, uh, she comes from Perthshire in Scotland, and uh, somehow or other the Perthshire advertiser in Scotland got hold of the story as well. Uh, there the headline was, Perthshire woman's husband acknowledged in Australia. Uh, of course, the story didn't actually mention my name at all. Uh, didn't even mention her name, come to that. It only mentioned her mother's name because her mother still lived in Perthshire at the time. And with that note, thank you very much for your attention. I'm Anna Burstein. I'm a PhD candidate at MIT and a Soros Fellow. And thank you so much, Dr. Fraser, for an amazing speech. And uh, I'm curious, so my research is about an HIV vaccine. And in this past year, I've just been trying to get my head around the immunology and molecular biology and that sort of thing. But I'm curious, um, in those early stages of vaccine design, when is the right time to start thinking about patients and the direct participation of the ultimate benefactors and sort of you know, get, get involved from that level beyond just the science of the vaccine? It's a good question, that. The, look, uh, first of all, let me say that it's very daunting at the start of our career in anything to do with immunology and vaccines. It took me 20 years to realize that nobody else knew any more than I did about the subject and that I wasn't really as ignorant as I thought I was. Uh, but uh, in terms of the question, let me say this. It's actually very good to start at the end and plan backwards. Uh, if you don't think about the clinical trial you're going to do with the product you're developing right at the beginning, then you'll end up with a product that there isn't a need for or that you can't test. And I have made that mistake in my lifetime on more than one occasion where I've gone all the way through the development of something and thought this is really interesting, exciting, and everybody says, yes, it's really interesting and exciting, but how are we going to test it? So get, think, start thinking about patient involvement right at the start and make sure that when you've got to the stage where you've got a product, you actually can go out there and show the world that it works. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Brian Levine. I'm a medical student at NYU, and I'm also part of the Catherine Reynolds Fellowship. Um, I just wonder, when do you foresee us actually getting rid of cervical cancer, and do you foresee it going away? And is it possible with vaccinating just girls, or do boys have to be vaccinated as well? Right, well, that would take about six hours to answer all of those questions. But uh, uh, the, short, the short answer is that the World Health Organization have modeled that it'll be the year 2070 before there's a significant decline in cervical cancer, just because there's a long time between the time when you can get the infection and the time when the uh, cancer kicks in. So uh, 
I'll be very lucky to live that long, I suspect. Indeed, they'll have to preserve me in formalin, I think, if they want me to see the outcome of that. But uh, as for vaccinating boys, well, it's, I mean, in Australia, at least, it's widely known that I gave my two sons the vaccine for their Christmas. Uh, it wasn't the only thing I gave them for Christmas. I was a bit more generous than that. But, uh, so I, yeah, I, I think there's a very strong case to be made for vaccinating boys as well.